Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was a younger parent, when the kids were little bitty, they were preschool and elementary school, on Saturdays that were cold or rainy, I'd take the kids out before uh, the stores opened. We'd go to the, the mall, Lakeline Mall up the street, and I'd go on one of those uh, corridors, a hallway. I'd just sit in a chair and try to exhaust the children. It was going to be a long day inside. So uh, we play uh, red light, green light. You know, you know, I'm standing at the end, and they have to turn around. I say green light. They run. I turn around. say red light. If I catch them moving, they have to go all the way back. You know how that works. And then if they get to me, I'm still in charge. Yeah, that's <clears throat> my rules, my house. So I just kept sitting in that chair playing red light, green light. And then when they got a little bit tired of that, I saw it coming. That I would play uh, Simon Says. Oh, I love Simon Says. I mean, Simon Says, whatever Simon Says, they have to do. If Simon doesn't say Simon Says, you don't. And that's how, they, that's how you play. The, you know how to play the game. But just the idea, like, like the power, man, the authority. Uh, Simon says, run in circles. And they'd run, run. Simon says, run faster. Uh, Simon says, uh, jump high as you can. Simon says, fall on the ground. Simon says, do a push-up. Simon says, jump high in the, uh, in the air again. I invented the burpee. That's how it happened. <laughs> Simon says, right there, Lake Line Ball. It's great. I I'm, I'm, probably wasn't a very good parent, but I was a smart parent. And I have fond memories of, of Simon Says. Simon Says cluck like a chicken. And these kids like runs cluck, cluck, cluck. Couldn't be happier clucking like a chicken. And the hard part was coming home. Because when I came home with all this power, actually authority, just authority over these children, I'd say, okay, Simon Says clean your room. Like, no. <laughs> I, what? And then I'd look at Melinda and say, Simon Says, you pick up my socks. Uh, Simon says, don't hit your husband. Simon says, red light, red light, stop it. Anyway, it went something like that. Today, we're going to learn about authority, real, true authority. Authority that has been granted and authority that has been earned, both, of the, that, both kinds of authority. This is the theme, the theme, that there is a kingdom, there is a king, and he has a right to rule and have authority over his dominion, okay? It's not Simon says, when the Bible says, it's the king has spoken, because there's a kingdom, and there's a king. So today, today, there's a pretty simple outline that Jesus is the king and the authority of that king. Jesus is the king and the authority of the king, and we're gonna look at that as it introduces uh, the passage that we'll look at a little bit later. But when you talk about Jesus being the king and the authority of the king, you want to turn to the book of Mark. That's the theme of the book of Mark. The very theme is Jesus is the king. And he starts off by declaring that in the very first sentence, Mark 1.1. In the beginning, uh, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That very sentence is just packed full with the identity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Uh, one translator <laughs> wrote the sentence this way. Look, this is how all the good news got started. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. The word Christ, the Greek word Christo, means an anointed royal leader. The way a, a Hebrew person would interpret that word would be the word Messiah, Jesus Messiah, because it was the promised ruler of the world, the promised ruler of God. And 
point is that Jesus is not just a king, Jesus is the king. So Mark introduces the kingship of Jesus after this sentence by saying, look, every king needs a forerunner. Just like even today, a, a modern-day dignitary has, you know, an, uh, an advanced party that goes ahead of them. They clean up the streets and fill up the potholes and make everything look pretty. Well, that's John, John the Baptist is that forerunner for Jesus, but he's not concerned about, I don't know, litter. He's talking about litter of the soul. We have a righteous king coming, and he's calling people to repent. He's saying, get your souls right for the righteous king. That's John the Baptist's job. And so after Mark introduces John in the context of him being the forerunner of the king, we see Mark just showing rapid fire this presentation of the king. He's going to say that the king has, has been anointed, he's, he's approved, he will be initiated, and then finally it leads up to the king's message. Verse after verse, watch what happens. Just in this explanation of, of who Jesus is, Jesus is the king. And Jesus' baptism, his baptism, it's not like any other baptism. A lot happens in just a few sentences. Verse 9 through 11 of Mark's first chapter says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he went to be baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. That is the anointing of this king. Next, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. That's the king's approval being granted. He's been anointed, he's been approved. The very next sentence, it's time to be initiated. He's being led out by the spirit and the spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Jesus was to come and submit to the Father and take on the fullness of human experience. And he had to prove himself worthy, earn his authority in some respects by submitting to that and showing himself to be fully human and to be showing himself fully enveloped in, in temptation. He's been granted authority. Now he's earning this authority. Anointed, approved initiated, and now the message of the king. Listen carefully. I'm going to refer back to this multiple times today. So the message of the king is found in the next verses, 14 and 15. And Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So application, repent and believe in this good news. Repent and believe in this good news. Repent means to change your beliefs, your, your values about, the, in his case, the nature of God and, and Jesus Christ. Often when you change the way you think about something, you're going to change your conduct. So repent in the way you think and what you do. In a positive way, he says, believe in this good news. Uh, some translations will say the word gospel because gospel literally translates good news. What's the good news? What's the event that he's talking about believing in? That Jesus is the king. Jesus is that king. That's the first part of the outline. Second part of the outline is the demonstration of the king's authority. The demonstration of the king's authority. When Mark is going to start using this word authority, and this will be 
the first time he does that, but I want you to know what it means. Uh, authority has like its original root, this makes sense, the, the root word for authority is author, right? Uh, authority, author, and the idea is that an author creates and rules and owns. If, if I, a, a writer of something, he has, I write a book, then I have authority over that plot line. Every one of those characters do whatever I write into the storyline. If you're the author of something, if you created something, you have authority over that. And so Jesus is going to show himself to have authority of his creation. All things were created by him and for him. In four ways, just in this first chapter, again, just one sentence after another, he's going to show that he has authority in his teaching. Jesus has King Jesus has authority over evil spirits. He has authority over illness. He has authority, Jesus has authority over uh, disease and even shame associated with that. Here's what King Jesus does, his authority in teaching. Next set of verses, 21 and 22, right after our last section, after his initiation, and, and they came into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue and was teaching, and, wait, and they were astonished with his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes, not like the other scribes, the other teachers. How was Jesus teaching with authority? Why was Jesus, why were the, why were the people astonished or amazed? Because Jesus wasn't using other references to validate or to prove his points. Jesus wasn't, like other scribes, quoting other scholars. He wasn't uh, going back and, and referring to some kind of tradition. Jesus, when he taught, he referenced himself because <laughs> he's the author of Holy Writ. And so he, he, the people were dumbfounded. Another translation, he, they, they were astonished, they were amazed. When you read the Gospels and you, you study the teachings of Jesus, you'll hear Jesus say, well, you've heard it said, but I say. Jesus says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, this is the way it is. And he's saying, look, this is what I said when I was speaking to Moses. If we're looking at that Pentateuch, here's what I was referencing when I talked to Moses. He's the author of it. He has authority over it. He has dominion over it. It'd be like you know, our Thomas Jefferson arguing before the Supreme Court and, and the justices are getting tied up in the meaning of one of the rights in the Bill of Rights. And Je Jefferson says, like, no, okay, this is, what that, this is what that right meant, okay? I helped write that. It was a Tuesday morning, okay? I know what it means. I'm the author. So when Jesus is astonishing people and people are, are taken back, it's because it's like Simon says no. It's like Moses says no. It's even more than that Jesus says. That's how his teaching was. He's the author. He's the authority in his teaching. Right after that happens, Jesus shows himself to have authority over the spiritual world, evil spirits. Look what it says in 23. And immediately there was someone in that very synagogue was a man with unclean spirit, and he cried out. He said, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Now, if there's a spiritual war going on, and there is, 
when King Jesus shows up and he yields his sword, it's not much of a battle. I mean, there's, not, there's not even a skirmish taking place. He says, be muzzled, get out. And you know what the demon does? He does what he's told. Look at verse 26. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Can you imagine how people reacted? You don't have to imagine. Here's what they did. And when they all saw that, they were amazed. So that they were questioning, they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with, there's the word, authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. There is a kingdom. There's a king. And he has authority over all of his domain. And that includes the spiritual world. He rules that too. I don't know what your parents told you about Jesus or some of your friends or coworkers or some professor in college, but firsthand accounts of people that saw Jesus interact in real time, saw and heard the spirit world say, he was the most holy one of God. And whatever he said, that demon did. He said, shut up and get out. And so they did. Do you remember the message of Jesus? He said, right? Repent and believe in the gospel. <laughs> yeah, repent. I don't know what you thought about Jesus, but you need to change your view to include this. Because this is the good news. This is great news. And the news is that Jesus is king and he has authority over everything that belongs to him, even a spiritual world. Jesus has authority in his teaching. Jesus has authority in the spirit world. Jesus has authority over sickness. Next, set of, next event that takes place. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and with, they were with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law was laying ill with fever. And immediately they told Jesus about her. And then Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. Simon says, I mean, Jesus says, get better. And so she did. <laughs> He's the king. You obey. That's how it works. Next, the last, last story here on authority, it's, uh, it's a, his, Jesus' authority over a disease and even shame because the disease we'll be looking at is leprosy. And some of you know about that illness. It's, it's lifelong, it's hopeless, but it, it, there's a social dynamic that's attached to it. So people back then they were, didn't know the difference between the infectious leprosy and the non-infectious kind, and so they put them all together and, and, they, and they casted them out from the people that they loved for the sake of the safety of everyone around, but it, it's incurable. And there, so there was shame associated with it. They would have to cover their face with a mask. We know what that's like, but it hides their identity in many ways. And then they, they would have, they'd, they'd go around in a tribe of other lepers and they'd have to be yelling Unclean, unclean, some would wear bells like a cow so that other people wouldn't get too close to them. 
So they're ostracized and they're lonely and they're without hope. That's the nature of this disease. And Jesus comes upon a man, verse 40, and a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, can you make me clean? And King Jesus says, I am willing. You be well, you be whole. Here is your dignity restored to you. Because he could. If you look at the miracles in the Gospels, they're purposeful. It's layer after layer, it's proof after proof that all the realms of creation submit to Jesus as he is king and he reigns. God reigns through the hand and the sword of King Jesus. Everything does what it says, what he says. Jesus says, and everything obeys. If you remember the message of Jesus, remember after his initiation? Repent and believe in the gospel. Maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's why you even came here today. January 2023, repent and believe in the gospel. Let me explain. Repent means to reverse course. It means to change your direction, to turn around, to turn away, turn towards. And this year, maybe that's what's happening in your life. Big change coming. And the change is who runs your life? That's what needs to change. And when you change your thoughts about who runs your life, you'll probably change your conduct. Maybe that's what needs to be repented of as well. Stop doing destructive things to you, to other people in your relationship with God, and start doing things that are spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, and even physically healthy. But repent. Who has the authority? Who has the authority in your life? Who has the authority over your dreams? The message of the king is you need to repent and bring it online about to what is real. And what's real is Jesus is king. You have to repent and he says believe in the gospel. And the gospel, that word gospel is a real church word. It's a spiritual word, but that's not, that's not what the word meant back then. It wasn't associated with with faith-oriented topics, it was a purely secular word. It means, like I said, good news. And and when you get down into the root of it, it, even the root of the word good uh, is is the word joy. So it's a joy news. It's an event in history that that you didn't know about that's brought into your life that makes you feel overwhelmed with joy. It's a life-shaping historical fact that's brand news to you and you, want, you should know about it. It's a gospel event. It's so secular, again, it's, we've made these church words, but we stole them from regular Greek. Uh, a great example of this uh, is, is, is when Greece finally defeats Persia at the Battle of Marathon. Some of you know the story. So when the Greeks finally beat them, they, they get a runner, a communicator, an evangelist, that's where we get that word, an evangelist to run to Athens 
26 miles away, so we get the race, 26 miles away because they won. And what kind of news does he tell Athens that they didn't know about? It was good news. No, it was not. It was great news. It was the gospel. We fought the Persians. We beat the Persians. We are free. That's good news. That's great news. This is the gospel that that Mark's referring to, that Jesus is talking about repent and believe in the good news, that Jesus has come and he's the king and he rules everything he touches, everything belongs to him. He's the king we've all been longing for and he has authority over everything. And that might be news to some of you. Well, it's, it's real. But the, important, the reason I'm bringing up the secular nature of this is this isn't, it's not good advice. It's not, it's not good religious insight. It's good news. There's a historical event attached to this information. It is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the event that we believe in so that we can know with confidence that we have a right standing with God, the holy God of the Bible, because of what Jesus did. He died for our sins and was raised so that we, we might inherit his righteousness. That's news. That's great news. Believe in that great news. It's not advice, not wishful thinking, not a religious thing. It's an event. So Jesus says, follow me. I'll be the king. I'm Messiah. Repent and believe. Now what we've studied so far, why would you do that? Why would you follow Jesus? Because he's the king. Because, because he is, he is de, he's been declared the king and he has earned that right. He's the author of our soul. He's the author of our salvation. He owns us. We belong to him. That's why we should live for him. Enough said. He's a good king. It doesn't matter okay, because we still follow based on his authority. But he's a good king. It's a benevolent monarchy. He loves us. <laughs> he's proven that. Whatever he would ask us to do would be for our best interests. Whatever he's going to require of us would cause us to be better and enjoy this life, but certainly the next more so. So we could do it because it's the best thing to do, but also primarily because he has the right. He's the king. And that's, what, that's how life works from the king. So what are you going to do about that today? Maybe today's that day for you. It's news to you about the kingship of Jesus. And it's news to you about the forgiveness that's provided. So on this January in 2023, why don't you repent and believe in that good news? That's been a 25-minute introduction. Now we're going to look at today's passage. <laughs> we'll be out of here by 2. 
that was a long introduction so that we might understand by looking at Mark's gospel about what it means to be a king and what it means to have authority. Because now we're going to look, about, look at, and we're going to spend the next few weeks on this, on the last words of the king in Matthew's gospel. You want to always take a look at what people start a story with and end a story with. Matthew ends with red letters in the Bible. That means Jesus is speaking and he's going to end this gospel at a climax of the king coming and giving us an order. Matthew chapter 28, now that we appreciate the word authority and understand what a king does, he rules what belongs to him. 28 verse 18 says, and Jesus came and said to them, here it is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We're just studying verse 18 today. But look what he says. And look what it means. Now the rest of the section, 1920, is what's going to be called the Great Commission. And we'll study that in weeks to come. But, and here's what it says, verse 19 and 20. I'm, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you all days, always, to the end of this age. <laughs> Look at all the alls. Look at all that authority. All authority has been given to Jesus. I want you to go and make disciples. Teach them all that I have commanded you. Right? I want you to go to all nations to make sure no one misses out. And I'll be with you all the days. That's power. You know what's better than power? Authority. The words were chosen particularly for a purpose. Here's a great quote about the difference between power and authority. Not merely power or might, dunamis, but rather it was, a greater, it was greater than a conqueror that might be claiming that, but rather authority, different Greek word, as something by which he had a right conferred to him, upon him from the Father that was bestowed upon him, that's what he's appealing to. This right as the king to rule his domain. Look, in the Bible, there's uh, five reasons to do good. Okay? There's five different th uh, uh, motives that the Bible appeals to to just live a righteous life. First two are pretty kind of secular. You're going to see those in the writings of Confucius or a, a Greek Stoic, whatever. But the first one is, it's, it's, it's right to do right. It's based on our design, the ontological, you know, the way we're made. Do right. It works. Like, it, that's the way we're supposed to be living. And then the second one follows, doing wrong is wrong. Doing right is right. Doing wrong is wrong. We're not made to do those wrong things. That's why it's but the wrong way is called the hard way. I learned that the hard way. You know what that means? It means you ignored the way you were made. That's not even, you don't even need to have revelation from God for that, but it's in the Bible. The third one's very specific in the Bible, and that is we receive eternal rewards. I mean, it just says it. The Bible makes promises. Jesus, other people in the Bible are, are mentioning from God's perspective. He says, you make temporal choices, and it has eternal rewards ahead of you. This thing is sacrificing in this life. So he, like, it's, this is the carrot. Like, you should do this because you'll be rewarded for eternity for the decisions you make in this temporal existence. That's the third reason. The fourth reason is God's wisdom is greater than our wisdom. 
It's different than those first two in that we don't understand a lot of times what we ought to be doing and we just refer to the Bible. And God's wisdom is so much more profound than ours. His omniscience, his all-knowingness. So we just do what we're told to do because it's the wisest thing to do. But between, you know, those other, those four that we talked about, that's what's, we're not talking about any of those. In this passage of scripture, there's no reference to rewards or right is right and wrong is wrong. The fifth one, the fifth motivation in the Bible to do the right thing is this one, authority. You'll see all five of these when you parent, but this one when you parent teenagers. Because I said so. Because I said so. That's why you obey. And you remember what authority means? It kind of comes from the word author. It means I created this thing. So usually because I said so is followed with what? I brought you into this world. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's what he's appealing to. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There it is. It's granted authority. It is earned authority. Again, if if this were mythical or like a a great story being told, and it's been told multiple times in different ways, the great king has come, he's he's taken the throne that he was anointed for, that he was approved for, that he was was, uh, born into, but he didn't earn it, and then he did. He went off and he was able to slay the invincible dragon, and he comes back and everyone wants to submit to his authority now because it was granted to him and he earned it. And what was the invincible dragon that Jesus, the king, killed? Death. He killed death. And now sin has no sting. And if it wasn't, it wasn't just his granted authority and now his earned authority, King Jesus, absolute authority over all their created realm, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is King to the glory of the Father. Everywhere, everything. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus is our authority. He's the author of our existence. He owns us. And so we belong to him. It's odd. You know, when you look at this passage of scripture that's pretty common to some of us, that it's called the Great Commission, and it kind of stands next to what we call the Great Commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. Those are the commandments of God. This is the commission of God. It is, I don't know, am I missing something? Looks like a command to me. I'm only looking at verse 18 right now, but it starts with all authority has been granted to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, that sounds like it's not an option. Sounds like whatever he says next, we're going to do because we're supposed to do this. <laughs> it's, it's, the Great Commission isn't for the adventurous Christian. It goes out there, it's like, okay, you go out there, you do what he told us to do, and, you know, don't forget to write his prayer letters. We'll be praying for you, and and then we have some leftover stuff. We'll send you some money. Tell us about that little optional adventure we could be on. I'm not seeing that. All authority has been granted to me in heaven on earth, therefore... 
I mean, think of it in a different context. Uh, the highest ranking five-star general, you know, I'm the supreme commander of the military, go take that hill. And the soldier said, sir, yes, sir, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm the boss of all the bosses. Now, I want everybody in the office at eight o'clock in the morning. And the people said, I'll be there early. This passage says, I own you. I own everything. I'm King Jesus. And I say, jump. And we say, how high? Jesus says, I am the conquering king. And we say, we're your humble servants. All authority has been granted to Jesus on heaven and on earth. Why should we obey him? Because he said so. That's it. The king has spoken. Eternity is a monarchy. It's not like Camelot monarchy where there's a round table and we can all negotiate on what's right, wrong, and real. No, no, no. It's a long hallway. At the end, there's a throne. And whatever is stated is fact. And if King Jesus said to us, all authorities have granted on, to me on heaven and earth, shave your heads, go to some busy intersection where your friends can see you, and just cluck like chickens. Would we want to do that? Doesn't matter. Would we do it? There it is. Would we do it? Simon says, cluck like chickens. Jesus says, Clark, Clark, Clark. Well, yeah, because he said so. The Christians should be willing and readily able to humiliate themselves regularly for the king if that's what it says. That's what it clearly says in the Bible. All authority has been granted to me on heaven and earth. Make disciples. We're on it. I mean, I'll tell you what that means next week, but make disciples. You want to do it? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Would you do it? Yeah. What is it going to cost? Doesn't matter. Right? Doesn't matter. Here's what it costs. It'll cost you everything. It'll cost you nothing. He's going to want everything. And you're going to get everything back. But all the good stuff. He'll say, he says, you know, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. You're going to lose your ego, your pride, your vanity. All the crazy temporal fears. And you'll gain eternal security. You'll, 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 you'll lose your temporal aimlessness and gain eternal purpose. You give him everything because he said, give me everything. But he's a good king. Oh, gosh, he's a good king. And he's going to give you more than you could ever ask or imagine. But it's going to cost you everything. And we'll do it because we follow the king. 
because all authority has been granted to him on heaven and on earth. We're looking at one verse today. We're looking at really one concept. We're looking at one word, and the word's authority. Here's what this passage, this, this is what we know from today's working together. That the, the demons obey King Jesus, and illness submits to Jesus, and disease and shame will bow its ugly head to that king. And so now, what about me? What about you? See the king? Jesus says, not Simon says, Jesus says. Today, let's answer, for if we are your lowly servants, happy to do whatever you say. Let's pray that God would root out the rebel in us. <laughs> we have so much practice with lack of submission. We're Americans. We won't submit to the queen. We're Texans. We can start our own country anytime we want. We're Austinites. We don't even like being part of Texas. I own my own business. <laughs> I mean, we're in a Bible church because there were 125,000 different denominations in the Protestant, and we couldn't find one, so we'll start our own. I mean, it's just like, oh, good grief. And the king says submit. We're like, well, we have to look that word up. <laughs> we... We are practiced in rebellion. Let's pray God's spirit to find that out in us and put it where it belongs. Let's send it to hell. Let's send our rebellion to hell like a demon. Call it out. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear King Jesus, whatever you ask, we will do. We'll go anywhere to do anything. <laughs> if it's humiliating, that's so much the better. We'll go anywhere to do anything with anyone at any time because you're the king. We're just lowly servants. You're a good king and we're grateful for that. But you're a king. You have authority. You rule. You reign in everything. And now we ask, Lord, that you would reign in our lives. I'd ask that you would help us understand the grotesque rebellion that is deep-seated in the roots of my soul. No one tells me what to do. That's sin. It's a, it's a plaque over the gates of hell. So, Lord, I'd ask that you would call that out in us. That we would hear it when we speak it. We, we would, we would, that you would amplify that in our conscience when we think those thoughts. We selectively pick passages that we like to obey as though that matters. That we'd be good soldiers, faithful servants, members of your kingdom, known for their obedience. I ask that you'd do that in our church. That we'd be known for doing things that are misunderstood or considered crazy in our culture because we'd rather be obedient than respected. Make that true in my life. Make that true in our lives. Make that true in the life of your church called Grace. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. All God's people said, amen.